episode of the VG Clinic. I'm one of your hosts. <laughs> you know what just how I, I always kind of question myself about that? Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Vanessa, and with me, as always, is my other host, Darren. Say hello, Darren. Hello. Uh, yes, I am. I feel like I'm a bit more confident that I'm supposed to be here. That than you are, but that's you know, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's the caffeine. You're not a big fan of it. You are pretty caffeinated. You are pretty caffeinated. Um, I took yeah. a nap with the dog this afternoon. I'm good to go. Ah, uh, there's the secret, folks. Um, well, and we have a special guest uh, this month. Um, this, uh, since it is, well, one, someone who I've wanted to have on anyway, but <laughs> I thought this was a wonderful, uh, occasion to bring her on, um, is Courtney Allen or Courtney Jean Allen. How do you want to be introduced? <laughs> Courtney. Courtney Court is fine. Yeah. Okay. Court. <laughs> um, we actually worked together but um, yes, um, I thought that it's a be a court be a wonderful fit um, since it is Black History Month and it's women in horror and uh, yeah, this is I've been wanting to talk about this an amazing movie that we're talking about today, uh, Candyman, the 2021 version, uh, the Nia DaCosta version, and uh, Jordan Peele produced, uh, they both co-wrote it, and um, yeah, I just thought that this would be a great opportunity. Uh, Courtney, we, we work together and we are on a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee, and there's the there's a, a media book um in film club and that that I kind of do with that. And Court has been very involved and we always have such amazing discussions there. And that's why I knew we that she had to be on here. Yeah. Well, thank you for inviting me. Um when I first saw this film, I had a lot to say and no one wanted to hear it. So <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm glad that we get to kind of discuss uh, the, the movie. Um, but then also, not only do Vanessa and I work together, we are fellow bookworms and um, lovers of horror. So um, yeah, I think this was a, the just perfect fit at the perfect time. So okay. thanks for having me on. Yes, yes, yes. Um, wow, I, I mean, it's, and I think I mentioned to both of you <laughs> before we started recording, I just 
said it briefly. I, 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 some, I, I did what I tend to do sometimes. I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole mm-hmm. and <laughs> I rewatched all of the Candyman movies, one, two, and three, although three is not particularly good. So I kind of actually was falling asleep during it. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's just I so bad. I fell asleep during the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre the other night. Yeah. Uh, but, um, and then I reread Clive Barker's The Forbidden, the short story that Candyman was originally based on. And on top of that, I found this story Mm -hmm. that actually inspired um, Candyman and as we know it today. Because, you know, the Clive Barker short story, The Forbidden, is, takes place in England, and it's about class. Mm-hmm. And you still get tinges of that in all, you know, I, I think in all the Candyman movies. But, you know, the, but race is, the, is more front and center. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> I I found um, that the, the the classism in this version was so loud, uh, well, and and just really evident. Um, <clears throat> and it was interesting. I don't want to cut you off when you finish that thought, mm-hmm. but it was really interesting how the conversation around gentrification was restricted to this uh, higher class, right? And and that felt really uncomfortable. Um, that was probably one of the most comfortable aspects of the film for, for me, right? Watching it, um, and I think I've watched it maybe three or four times, but um, <clears throat> it's such a nuanced conversation. I think it's such a, uh, it requires sensitivities that were and were not present at different moments throughout the film. Um, yeah, so it's it's really interesting that, that that was your observation and your experience with this version in particular. Well, I but no, I do agree with you that in this version, uh-huh. and I do think that comes from having more of a black lens. Like, I mean, from behind the camera. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely intentional. Um, and also creating more of a black protagonist, I, I, it, it definitely opens up. And I, and I do, it, it definitely, yes, it is these, it is the elitist white pe- people who seem to feel like they know the best on about gentrification. Mm-hmm. Although you could say that, no, I mean, the, the original isn't that aware of that. Although they allude mildly, but 
not so much. Yeah. I, I'll keep it real with you both, right? Yeah. So when, <clears throat> when the original came out, I was in elementary school. I grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up in the projects in Brooklyn and um, Sumner Houses. And on that block, well, actually Sumner, Sumner Houses is a series of blocks and it runs into another housing project into another one, right? Um, so on the, the, the block that I lived, there was a school that we all attended. Everyone in these three communities of projects attended the same elementary school. And there was a lower level where <clears throat> after school, you know, if, if there was an event um, and your mom was in, involved in the PTA, you kind of got to explore the scary lower level and play Bloody Mary, which no one ever fully played because it was too scary. So when, um, when Candyman came out, I think it was in the early 90s, right? <clears throat> That was such a familiar story to us, mm -hmm. uh, seeing the projects, seeing, <clears throat> um, you know, having this saying a name so many times and then this monster comes out to get you. It just all felt so real. And I think that's why it was so scary for me when I first watched it. Um, and then rewatching the, the latest version and the commentary on gentrification I, I I don't know. It was it was just it felt like there was something lacking in that discussion. I thought it was important, but there were still moments where <clears throat> I was like, "Wow, did that just happen? Let me rewind that. Did I hear that right?" Uh, specifically well, with with the the brother and his his boyfriend's relationship. I was like, "Who wrote this? This is weird." Like there are things that are being said. The way he's he's calling out um, these black affluent people um and it was kind of going unchecked it was weird right and well, um, yeah it, and it should be said that the i i don't I, I believe there were i mean there were a number of writers uh -huh. who worked on this right right including a white man mm -hmm. um but that said, Jordan Peele and Nia DaCosta, Nia DaCosta, yeah, DaCosta, I mean, both worked on the, the screenplay. Uh, but still, you're taking, although the original Clive Barker story mm -hmm. had already been kind of turned into something else. By Bernard Rose for the 92 movie just by moving it to not just the United States but Chicago and the Cabrini Green projects mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and one thing you you were talking about being like being like Bloody Mary, one yeah. of those things being presence in your mind. Right. When came at, you know, you know, growing up when this came out, when the original came out. And that is one of the things that they pulled into the whole Candyman story. Mm -hmm. But then there's also this true crime case. Yes. Mm -hmm. That took place in a Chicago housing project mm -hmm. near Cabrini Green. 
Mm-hmm. In April of 1987, Ruth McCoy, who suffered from, who was known to suffer from some mental illness, um, but was in the process, supposed to be supposedly in the process of uh, trying to recover and, and move out into better housing and uh, a better su- support system. And she called the cops saying there was an intruder and they were coming through the mirror and it was a housing project with a mirror that mm-hmm. could be pushed through and these killers came through and and the cops were a car like a, a squad car came by but they you know they didn't really do anything about it and then i, I mean it was it was just if it hadn't been for the persistence of neighbors community like, yeah community they i mean she ended up being found dead in her apartment two days later. I mean, it's just tragic, but it was also the, it's the unfortunate, what we come to see typical lack of response by law enforcement. Right. It's, so it's, it's, it's a lot emergency services. Right. It's a, ma- a lack of response. It's a lack of urgency. It's a lack of care and priority. Right. So they showed up, but that was the extent of it. They showed up and walked away. And, and you know, that was a very difficult article to read, um, considering some recent events um, over the past many years where you have had Black people who have been shot and killed in their homes by police officers, right? Where you have this woman who actually called the police for help and her body ended up lying there in a pool of blood for days. So that's just heartbreaking and horrifying and enraging. I know. And and then it does at least make me glad that in the original Candyman movie, mm-hmm. they reference uh, someone as Ruthie Jean that mm-hmm. disappeared, that, right. that was taken away by Candyman, supposedly, and they came in through the mirror. Right. Of the, like, and so there's that, but there's also between that first movie and then then this most recent one you have the mother Anne Marie McCoy with the last name mm-hmm. i mean so so between you know between those two and you have you do have the remembrance mm-hmm. and an, an homage to this woman that was she shouldn't just be a statistic you know she was a person who who met an unfortunate end and right and it's a cold case which was, right. yeah which is another part of it 
but um yeah i was thinking about the impact of mental illness um in the black community but specifically the um the more underserved portions of the black community um and i was thinking about that watching william's character and um you, you know you 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 just you see it mm -hmm. uh, and and sometimes it ends up in uh, it's just tragic and people lose their lives um and I, I i thought that that was just significant to have that character in there um because he just reflected i think what many people have experienced around them right with someone in their lives um suffering from from mental illness and and obsessions and, and schizophrenia or whatever whatever other conditions um and there's so many quite honestly and then uh but yeah i just thought that was really um i like that that was included in the in the the story um of course he wasn't a, a character that you really sympathized with but um i could see that something was going on with him. And I did sympathize with that. Um, can I just really, I wanna change directions really quickly and, and fast forward to, well, start at the beginning of the film and then fast forward to the end of the film because I was so intrigued and in love with the paper puppets and like the, the kind of like silhouette cutout art. I have a <laughs> My discussion on that. <laughs> I was like, this is the movie. This out that was haunting. And it wasn't, we didn't get very much of it, but it was haunting and beautiful and chilling. And I wanted more of that. And as the, the movie continued, I just kept going, my mind kept going back to that. And I was like, this should have been the movie. So maybe it'll be another movie. Um but it was just beautiful. It was beautiful storytelling. And um, well, they the um, actually used an, a kind of an outside company to work with them for those segments. Uh -huh. And um, what, well, first thing, when I saw them in the theater, when I saw this movie in the theater, the first thing that just immediately screamed out to me was Kara art, Kara Walker artwork. Uh, uh -huh. Those, uh -huh. Courtney, <laughs> how much I love Kara Walker. <laughs> oh, I made everybody at work listen, <laughs> read about that. Um, uh, yeah, I so the, just this amazing artist, it is this amazing black artist who addresses issues of race, mm -hmm. gender and uh, sexuality. And uh, it just, she uses these amazing kind of silhouette and like mostly in black and white, but yeah. a lot of just very simple monochromatic kind of, tones and it reminded me a lot of this and Jordan Peele which I knew before but 
um, I found out with this, like, he's a huge fan of puppetry. Oh. And he was actually working to get a degree in that at Sarah Lawrence College. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So that's in part, that's, that's, those segments are largely influenced by uh, Jordan Peele. They were beautiful. Yeah. And I, I think they work as a perfect way to do the flashbacks. Um, I wanted the flashbacks as the story. And I think that was, <laughs> I know I wanted the, I, I wanted some flashback too, but on the other hand, it's kind of like, the, I, I felt yeah, you needed to make this something unique. And I think this also, I think these also, I, th I think the use of the the shadow puppets goes along with the use of artwork throughout the rest of the film. Yeah, yeah. Which, oh, I... I uh, yes the the film the, the artwork is all amazing and it's all they all it's all Chicago artists that they found. And I thought it was uh, interesting. I not to interject. I really just want to sit here and listen to you two talk. But <laughs> please, you can speak up. You're allowed. Oh, Thank you. Um, I, I won't do it much, but <laughs> I I like that they got a different artist to do Anthony Anthony's early stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then they switched it up. I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yes. And especially the way that they did. I don't know. I'm a big fan of Clive Barker's painting also. And as am I, I, I love the way they, uh, that sort of textural, Mm -hmm. oil paint i mean i've seen him scratching on canvases with knives and stuff to just yeah. get it. and i did see one uh little featurette with the artists that worked on the things for the movie and just hearing them talk about how they worked on doing those things and how the they had somebody do a curation of a more Chicago, you know, they, they really went for you. You could tell that Chicago people were involved in this. Mm -hmm. You can tell that it was based in that reality there. And I, I don't know if yeah. it's a lot easier for me to go to Chicago than either of you. Cause it's, <laughs> You know, uh, 45 minutes in the plane or, you know, six and a half hours in the car or a few in the on the train. But, you know, there's just I mean, I've been to that neighborhood before and, uh, you know, when you're on the train, you're always hearing about State and Lake. I feel like every time I think somebody was riding the train, you heard the, the guy talking about State and Lake and. Um, the, the Chicago neighborhoods for my limited, I mean, I've been going back and forth there for maybe the last 15 years or so more regularly, but all the neighborhoods are really good at keeping track of their history and trying to tell stories 
about the neighborhood that kind of get glossed over a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, I, one thing I will say, and when in court, you were, you partially pointed towards this as an issue of class and it is, but it, it is also just a complete criticism of the art world. Oh yeah, absolutely. So what yeah. I have worked it is very... in the art world and oh my goodness, mm -hmm. there were so many things in here that I, I was just like, it's not even just like, oh, ha, 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 you, they've made up that character in a movie or something. It's like, no, there are certain people that exact kinds of things. And like with the one art critic who comes out with saying something like, well, when your kind moves into a neighborhood and, and Anthony's like, excuse me? And she's like, well, artists, like daring her to say, don't, do you mean black people or people? But not, but not just that, that's also. Um... And she's bordering on, it's bordering on, you know, obviously on the racism too. Of, of but, course. But then that was very interesting just before you get off of that topic, which was very interesting to me about that statement was, hey, there are uh, black people in the hood who are amazing artists, right? right. And these neighborhoods are gentrified. You know, just suggesting that the, 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 the talent and the skill does not exist within, um, you know, poor neighborhoods. Oh, right. <laughs> it, it's, it's just unbelievable to me that this that yeah that that attitude of how could you possibly have any talent or anything to say and she doesn't want to there there's there's a certain invisibility until there's a tragedy I, I mean, I thought she was really arrogant and just straightforward. Oh, her oh yeah. Oh, she's and absolutely like she, arrogant. As a critic, she felt like the art world had ownership over telling the stories of oppression and violence that are experienced within these communities, right? Um, and that's always, that, that's such an interesting narrative that you see happen. You see it playing out in movies. You see it playing out in music. You see it playing out in television. Um, that people have ownership over those stories. And oftentimes those, oftentimes those people have not lived those realities, right? That they're portraying. Um, very interesting. I, I wanted to, <laughs> speaking of the art critic, her scene, the scene where she is killed was probably my, this is gonna sound really horrible, but that was my favorite uh, murder scene in <laughs> the film because I was like, what is, what, did, what am I looking at? I was having a conversation with my mom and she's like, oh wow, she's being killed. And I'm like, wait, rewind that. I, I, what's uh -huh. going on? So I almost missed it and I love that. Um, there, was, yeah, that was a pretty awesome scene. Well, that, it, and I, I, I agree with you. <laughs> it sounds gruesome, but <laughs> it's, if you're not paying attention, you, mince, you miss it. Mm -hmm. um, as usual, 
I mean, it, it's just anything where I think that that comes from a Jordan Peele production, even if he's not directing, mm-hmm. he's always working with people who have these, uh, putting these little Easter eggs or mm-hmm. attention detail that if you, yeah, again, like there's one scene in here where it's the little, it's a Berg mm-hmm. when he's having the flashback to being a child mm-hmm. and he's going to like turning on the light at the laundry room and he's like by the wall and he's starting to walk out and you see a sign on the wall partly in focus it has a like a cartoon b on it mm-hmm. and shortly thereafter another bee and a bee actually starts to appear and then the candy and then we have an entrance of candy man it's very interesting like little subtle things like that uh, you know i um I I, I, who it is that's reading a clive barker book in some scene <laughs> like <laughs> you know what was uh interesting and i was asking some friends who had also watched the film just to see if it was very obvious to them because it was obvious to me and I was like wow this is like they're being really in your face with this so we know that it tends to be a cliche in horror films that black people will die first right so it's like kind of a joke um when it was a joke it's not so much anymore but a joke when a black person got to survive an entire horror movie um and in this I was like it was just very interesting that Candyman only killed white people. Um, there was this scene, and I was like, why is this character even in the movie, right? The, the young high school teenager who was in the art gallery with her mom. Um, but she was in there for a very specific reason, right? When you saw her mom, you could tell that she was dressing in a very particular way um, that would, could be considered appropriating Black culture. And so when she's in school and she's in the bathroom, that Mm -hmm. scene, it felt so, everything about that scene felt so deliberate. So it's the friends and there was an Asian friend on the end and then the young girl in the stall and they start calling out to Candyman and the Asian friend says, I'm out. She takes it and the black girl just stays locked up in the, the stall. Um, The geeky black girl with the bad brains mm -hmm. um, patch on bag Mm -hmm. i'm like you're cool i want to hang with you (laughs) i was just like wow it was uh that was pretty obvious and i i can't remember and i should because i just rewatched it this week um but i might have stepped away because i can never remember um if it was Candyman who killed william or the cops um i can't remember william oh no that was uh brianna Okay. Okay. So Candyman. Rihanna, she she stabs him so many times, like in the eye. (laughs) Why did I not remember? I don't remember that. Um, Because he's trying to kill her. Yeah, he's trying to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they've moved back into. um, They've moved out of the church. Uh huh. Uh huh. And they were like in an abandoned housing. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. 
So I remember him getting killed, but I don't remember her stabbing his eyes out. <laughs> watch this. <laughs> How did I not like remember that moment after watching the, the movie multiple times? So I got to go back to that. But yeah, I just found that to be a very interesting choice. And it, it felt like Jordan Peele, like he was all over that. Yeah. I was just curious if it was as obvious to other people as it as it was uh, to me when I watched it. Have you seen the alternate ending? I have not. Yes, I have. I have not. Then I will not spoil it. Okay. But there is an alternate ending, which I think is an an interesting way to take it. Mm. But I do like the the actual, like the way, this way better. Mm. Mm. Yeah, what was released? I'll have to. I'll have to find that alternate ending. Yeah, and let you know what I think about that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's it's a it's a lot, but but yeah, I mean it, it's funny. You're right. The kills are all like disposable white people. <laughs> it's kind of it's pretty funny, <laughs> actually. It's a pretty funny commentary on. The horror and like the horror genre in Hollywood, right? Like because for so long, yes, it was. Oh, it's the black person dies, for the most part, and then it started becoming the Asian person dies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think we're still kind of stuck a little with with that a little bit with Hollywood, unfortunately. Um, I think we're, yeah, we, we, we're probably still stuck. I probably, I'm, saying, I'm talking, talking mainstream that. Hollywood. I'm talking right. mainstream. I, I don't even, I'm not a fan of mainstream Hollywood film or television. So um, I feel like we were making progress and maybe I just assumed that that progress continued. Um, yeah. In the, the horror genre specifically, I'll say, um, where you would see people of color uh, surviving um, and they weren't just cast to be the first or second ones killed. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, it's, it, it is pretty, well, for instance, I, I mean, one thing I, I will say is in here not only you do have uh, the gay couple, but they're an interracial gay couple and they survive till the end. And that's a far cry from the interracial gay couple that we see in Blackula. Right. Who, that was actually, that was very surprising to even see a gay gay couple on screen. But, the fact that they were interracial was even more shocking. And then, um, they were, but they were also in a healthy relationship. So Brianna comments, I'm, I'm so glad he, he's found, you know, like a good one or a normal one. Right. And a lot of times we see uh, gay couples portrayed as more dysfunctional and um, they, they were her people, right. When, when her, um, when Anthony starts bugging out, they were her people that she went to. And um, so, yeah, I thought that was a. 
I I thought that was important to show that, that yeah. he had a good stable support system. I agree, but I you know what I got to go back to keeping it real. There were elements in that relationship that mm -hmm. I was just like, what is going on? I know the first yeah. time they met when they're they're at Brianna's home and uh, the boyfriend is sitting on her dining room table with his feet in her the bench of her table set. I was like, there's no, that's I was, what's going on. <laughs> I know. Well, okay. Yeah, because I thought that they were meeting for the first time. I was like, that's awfully comfortable. I don't I mean, care who you are. Right. I don't care if it was the first or hundredth time. People don't do that. I have never, I was just, that's why I was like, who, who wrote this? Um, <laughs> yeah, I know that's, I know there were like, there were some weird, yeah, weird yeah. Like that was that. interesting, but it was just little moments like that, um, that, that would take me out of the reality of things from time to time. But, um, yeah, I thought it was just, it was important to, to have that sort of, um, positive representation in the film, along with seeing, you know, powerful, uh, accomplished black artists and black people in the art industry. Um, yeah, I thought, I just thought that was, uh, those were little details that I, I could definitely appreciate in the story. I can't even say little details. They were important details, obviously, because they, they stood out and they had an impact. Yeah. Can I say it was just nice to see uh, Vanessa Williams and uh, even though it was a very short scene, um, to have her in this up-to-date version of the movie. Um, I just say that because I, it's just always good to see her on film. Oh. Get enough credit and enough. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I, I mean, she was reprising the same character. So mm -hmm. that was, I thought that was wonderful. Yeah. But this movie came out right around the time that she was doing a story arc on the L word generation Q where she was playing an artist, a radical artist and lover of lover to Bette Porter played by Jennifer Beals. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, Oh, it, you know, and that was great to see her in that too. Cause she, you know, was totally different. Yeah. side than this or uh some other you know other things i've seen her in but yeah she you're right it's, it's great to see her just pop up in things yeah and you know uh, i noticed that she added like her middle name to her stage name um probably just to kind of differentiate herself between the other vanessa williams um, and i'm sure they've gotten very different opportunities throughout their careers because of what they look like. Both beautiful women, um, but they look very different from each other. And um, I was like, oh man, after all these years, she had to kind of tweak her name a little bit, but yeah, it was just good to see her. Yeah. Well, and I wonder, I you know, and I wonder, cause she's been doing, she's been on on days of our lives for a while is that still on television yes, yes it is no but i was looking on her imdb yeah, don't judge me <laughs> I, 
I've been looking, I was looking on her IMDb credits and it looks like she's been on there for like regularly oh, okay. for like three or four years Good for, her. for daytime soap mm-hmm. that adds up. Oh yeah. Oh so yeah. Maybe they were, I, I don't know. Maybe it was when around that time, like, I don't know her agent or she was getting pressure Probably. to, yeah it was it was really it was pretty recent that that happened name change right yeah i'm gonna call out a little nuance that i noticed in the the storytelling as well i don't know if either of you noticed it but as a black woman i always appreciate a small detail when there is a black woman in a a film or a, a series and she's getting ready for bed and she wraps her hair so the fact that uh, Tiana Taylor's character yes. Tiana had on a scarf, um, I really did appreciate that that nuance. Um, and I, I I think we can give credit to the director for that. But Tiana Taylor actually, um, I'm sorry, I'm calling her the wrong name. That is not Tiana Taylor. Um, what is her last name? Paris. Paris. There we go. Goodness gracious. Two different two different industries. Um, she tends to show up in films and television and bed scenes with a bonnet or a headscarf. So I don't know if it was her doing or the director's doing. Uh, Either way, I loved it. And I just think it's always important to have that little glimpse of reality, right? Um, when When you're telling specific stories of specific individuals. So, yeah, I just want to call that out. I don't know if y'all noticed it. I did, and I was like, no, I... Mm-hmm. Absolutely noticed it. I, I, I was, I actually, I was glad, I'm glad you pointed that out because I, I you know, it, it wasn't just that it was also, if you, she just also didn't look like she still had makeup on and was going to bed with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and like you would normally do before you go to bed. Right. You would wash your face and take a, it's so unrealistic about most movies. It's like, oh, somebody also wakes up and they're perfectly whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, I know. I saw that and I, I, I just always like, that's, I mean, that's, yeah, that was a nice touch. Yeah. Um. Oh, and I wanted, <laughs> we were talking about people in the cast I wanted to go to uh, Coleman Domingo, who played um, William Burke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's-, he's one of those people who pops up it, like in a bunch of different things. But I, I was looking at some things that he's been in, and one of the things was the Big Gay Sketch Show. Oh, oh! I don't know if either of you saw that show. No. Um. This is this is how I this is how I know Kate McKinnon. That was what she was on before she was on SNL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that show. Uh, I mean, it's like fifteen whatever years ago that it was on, but or so. And um, if I'm I'm trying to remember specifically, like what kind of characters he played on there. I mean, sadly, they did not have many people of color in their cast um but i think he may have been the one 
who played they would do these segments where it would be um lost connections the the man-to-man section of lost connections of craigslist mm-hmm. as read by maya angelou <laughs> well, <wow. laughs> it was it was hysterical because he had the perfect impersonation of Maya Angelou. And, but it was reading the most, like, filthy, <laughs> like, <laughs> just <laughs> grinder type wine to hook up things. It, yeah, it was just, <laughs> yeah, that's the, I mean, I know he's been in plenty of other things, but that's like, when I read that, I was like, oh, God. Yes, I forgot that. <laughs> yeah, he's been in so much and he's just super talented. But I just, I, but I, cause I think, I, I guess I tend to think of him more in dramatic roles. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, I totally forgot about that comedic, <laughs> like, turn. Yeah, I have to find that because I, I don't think I've, I might have seen him do some comedy, but I, I can't recall it. So, yeah, if you can find, a link to where I can check that out. Yeah, I ha- I'll have to. I'll have to find it. If it's if it's what I'm thinking of, I mean, uh, but um, anyway, yeah, and I mean this. It, it it I think that well, so these, you know, these kind of the whole gist behind this movie to some extent and to tie it in a way back to the original is that these urban legends mm-hmm. are a way to keep the communities to warn the community to, and to keep them safe from the real horrors in the world mm-hmm. and you know and and i think that i i mean i think that makes a lot of sense. I I re I also rewatched the documentary um, that was released on Shutter, uh, Horror Noir. And one line uh, that struck me was, "Black history is black horror," mm. and that you know, y- and you can trace in a way. Just look at like the representation in Birth of a Nation. That's a representation of black horror. I mean it's it's totally but it's not but it's but it's you know a distorted lens um yeah yeah it is because look who was telling it i mean this is true this is true but if you just if you even look at the story that they're telling through the 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 paper puppets and the the silhouettes uh, um that is so reminiscent of emmett till right right um and the fact that you can take that story that, you know, gosh, it's actually came up in one of our um, our calls, right? How the story of Emmett Till is a story that just about every black person knows from the time that you are um, young through your entire mm-hmm. adult life. That story is passed down from generation to generation. And um, it is a story of, of fear for sure. And you can take something like that and inject it into a horror film and it makes perfect sense. Um, so at, I know at the end, the very end of the movie, there's voiceover asking Candyman, um, who are you or something like that. And he starts going into, you know, I'm the writing on the wall. 
And I know that the idea was for him to, or, or this um, entity to represent vengeance and justice and legacy, this legacy of, of violence, right? All wrapped up into one. And then to use all of that to, to protect the community. Um, I think I wanted more of that. And you got that protection at the very end when he saved Brianna, but I wanted to feel more of that throughout the film. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, that felt like something that was lacking for me when I walked away. I felt half full. I felt half full and I wanted to be, you know, overflowing with that, especially because these stories, um, you know, the, the legend of Candyman is so rooted in that black pain and that black trauma um, throughout the years and it takes us to modern day, what's happening with gentrification. And I still felt like there was, there was this, um, there was something about that support system that Candyman was supposed to represent that didn't feel all that supportive. And I don't know what could have changed that in the story for me, exactly but i'm sure there are a couple of things that that could have potentially happened um and who knows maybe that is a segue to another movie we don't know what they might have planned um yeah i yeah i think there's a lot of room for them to keep exploring the ideas that they seem to start presenting to us closer to the end of the film you know what they built to Mm -hmm. and uh, they are more than uh, capable mm -hmm. i mean this movie's rad yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i i uh if they stay with similar crew or i mean mm -hmm. Nia Costa, she's still on her way up yeah she, yeah oh i know yeah which by the way can props to where they're due um isn't Nia DaCosta the first female, not just black female, but the first female to have um it was a debut, was it? Like, yeah, what was it? What was the debut like with the the box office intake? She was like it broke all these records. And I mean, like, it was very significant. Um, it was sorry. I should be more prepared, but the the one is... I had seen was a uh, first black female filmmaker to have a film open at number one in the box office. So. Well, there's that, but it was yeah. I thought there wasn't there was something else where yeah yeah I, I just saw that one um, as the first black female director to open with a film debut number one yeah i mean it's still i mean that's I mean, pretty amazing I, it's just to have any you know it, the it's not a typical film mm -hmm. even though yes it's it's not you can't even say it's a sequel per se it, because it couldn't it could stand in a way as its own as its own film even if someone hadn't seen the others hadn't read it, you know short story didn't know anything about it they i think they could watch this on its own and have their own ideas 
Yeah, it feels like a remake in its true sense, right? And and so we we see that happening a lot. I think with movies and TV, where um, it's not necessarily a, a sequel or a, a prequel, but they're just recreating the story and they're kind of recreating the characters a bit, even though the story is still familiar. Um, it stands on its own completely, and I, I think she accomplished um, just that with 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 this version. Um, and there were just some gorgeous shots throughout the film. Oh, yeah, the cinematography. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. There was there was one shot that I had to just pause on it. He was um, Anthony's character was standing in the middle of that, that the old housing complex, and so of course everything is run down, and what's around him looks so dark. But then ahead of him are these huge, shiny, bright buildings. And it was just such a statement. It was not just gorgeous, but it said so much. Um, yeah, that was just gentrification. If you needed a photo to put in the, the dictionary or encyclopedia next to a definition of, of that concept, um, that would fit beautifully. One thing yeah, that speaking, I... You know, speaking of the artists going into the neighborhoods, the first time I went to that area was on my way to play a show at a... Uh, recording studio slash punk club that was you know being operated at very low low cost mm. um because yeah it was a, a little closer to goose island eventually i don't know if either of you are familiar with the area no i've been to chicago a couple of times but it was always downtown chicago so yeah familiar yeah shown around <laughs> um we don't uh since it's not too far from here uh we would often end uh west coast tours on our way back we would have you know a weekend show in chicago and then hang out with friends or whatever and then make our way back home and then eventually you just get over yeah so i and i was going up for a while to visit a lady friend so i was there more frequently and uh you know so i got to see the chocolate factory where jeffrey dahmer worked when he was oh my gosh. living in the area and oh all these cool little bars and neighborhoods and you know she worked at wrigley field so you know went to a cubs game nice. and then went to all that other stuff and then yeah i was like you know we loved horror movies so she's like i'm gonna show you you know it's not the same but we're gonna go to where Candyman's from but anyway, sorry to interject. Sorry, oh, no, no, started. Not at all. I know. I mean, I I have lived in one of those like office uh, those artist loft spaces before that basically was a burned out building oh. that they just basically barely <laughs> refinished <laughs> so people could kind of live in it <laughs> yeah. you know um but it was you know in an area well that is now more i would say since i left the area it's definitely i would say more gentrified in bushwick <laughs> Than when I lived there in Brooklyn. But um, 
anyway. It's everywhere in Brooklyn, right? Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I, yeah, I know. There, there, there are a lot of different issues surrounding it. And I, I feel that, I think you did say this earlier, Courtney, that it, it, there could have been more of a conversation about that, perhaps. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and you know, in, in a more meaningful way, like right. rather than just from, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think not having the conversation at all might have, for me, as a as a uh, a black woman viewing black woman from the projects that has experienced gentrification um, at its core and just like the violence of it. Um, I feel like if you weren't going to really have the conversation, um, maybe you should have backed off a little bit. Um, right. That's, yeah. Because it was such a perfect, it was it was the perfect opportunity. This film was the perfect opportunity to really um, say some, have some tough commentary there, right? And exchanges. And um, again, because so much of it was coming from a specific class level, it just did not feel meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you're right. You're right. Definitely. It's, it, it, it was, it was still a limited view. What I, I wonder if part, I don't know if it was completely done on purpose, but I almost wonder if, you know, the, the, the art critic and the gallery guy and the more financially secure folk clumsily talking about the issue as if they feel like they're authorities on it. I don't know if, if any of that was on purpose. It seemed like that was definitely on purpose, right? So yeah. that part, um, I got it. It was the conversations that Brianna and Anthony was having um, with her her brother and uh, Troy is the brother's name, right? And I can't remember the boyfriend's name. Brady. Yeah, so those conversations where they're all like, sitting up in this fancy apartment. And then the boyfriend is like, oh, kind of like, you know, as they're critiquing gentrification, the boyfriend steps in and he's like, well, that's pretty much what y'all have done. Y'all come into this area that used to house poor people and now it's all built up and here you are with your money um, and your class status. So, you know, there, there were just, I, I felt like there could have been opportunities to have different perspectives in that conversation, especially when you're talking about gentrification and you're diving into this this old project grounds and and um, and talking, you know, introducing characters that were raised there and still living there. I just felt like there was missed opportunity um, in that. Who knows? It could have been in the script and that edited out. Who knows? Well, true, because, I mean, I, I I did watch deleted scenes, but there's nothing that would, that expands um, on that. And for a movie that's about an hour and a half, I feel like you, you could, there's room to add 
a little to the script there. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, doesn't have to be a big, massive, long amount of time, but you're allowed for time to have a little bit more in-depth discussion and still keep this movie at a tight pace. Right, right. Um, because you also, look, you have already are addressing issues mm -hmm. of mental illness uh -huh, uh -huh. and police yeah. brutality. Mm -hmm. And 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 then just general microaggressions in, in other ways that, you know, particularly the mental illness mm -hmm. and the police brutality and and just wanting to be you know represented and this you know seen uh, it's just there's already so much there it wouldn't take that much more time or effort to add in the just a couple extra minutes in the script. Yeah. yeah. And I, I wondered if Anthony was meant to be that representation um, and that voice and that perspective, but uh, I didn't sense that he was. I just had to ask myself that question because it was, it was, you know, you mentioned all of the elements that were tackled, but all of these other elements that were tackled, that could be, you know, their own movie in itself uh, but they still managed it into the story hey that's not brooklyn this time <laughs> not, right? but that's my brooklyn energy like attracting that noise and that activity um always brooklyn in my heart but um <clears throat> yeah i just you know when they were going back to the old project grounds, I felt like maybe there could have just been a character there that had some insight to offer. Um, it, it, there could, something could have happened, right? Um, yeah, that was, that was a little disappointing for me. Um, and I could just be highly sensitive because I was born and raised in the projects and I know the kind of, um, ideas and judgments that people kind of latch on to that. And when I see it being portrayed in films, I, I, when it there's something that feels uh, not dehumanizing, but there's like this coldness about it where it's just a word. You just say gentrification or you just happen to show the buildings and you're not capturing the heart of the, the people that actually live and experience that space, um, I'm extra sensitive to that. So that could be why my disappointment was so deep. And I just, you know, I liked the film. I wanted to love it, but th that was one of the reasons why I just couldn't love it the way I hoped to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there was, oh man, what there was something I wanted to ask. Um, I can't remember. It'll come to mind. It has, it just escaped my brain. It'll come back. And you, you know, his mother, mm -hmm. when, you know, when Ant Anthony goes, goes and talks to her, she, she talks about 
I mean, he asked, why didn't you tell me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, because they moved away from Cabrini Green um, and he grew up in another part of Chicago. And she's like, I thought I could keep you safe. Mm-hmm. And isn't, and that's the same phrase that every parent wants to tell their child. Mm-hmm. But it it feels like every black person I know that has said, oh, the time when I had the discussion from my parents as a child about interacting with law enforcement or interacting with certain kinds of people, uh, you know, who may be racist and, you know, that kind of thing, it, you know, and, and how it, there's always this like fear mm-hmm. that's and, 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 and this goes back to where, where I was saying earlier that you know your urban legends are there to basically as a way to cover for everyday real life horror because nobody wants to believe that there are real life horrors in the world i mean at least not as many as there are maybe um i i absolutely hear what you're saying um i can tell you that the realities that I have witnessed, and this is just like my personal, um, my my personal point of view. But the reality is that I've witnessed the stories of other people's realities have always been far, far scarier, far more frightening um, than any urban legend I've ever heard. The urban legends have been kind of like fun and games, right? And um, it's the real stories that became kind of what urban, they became urban legends to us, but they were real. Um, Right. Yeah. Like stories about, uh, that feel like ghost stories, but they weren't ghost stories, you know? Um, Like, you know, just reading that article about this this woman that's suffering from mental illness and she's calling the cops and, you know, no one comes to her aid, essentially, right? They show up, but they don't show up. Stories that I've heard about, um, you know, people with mental illness in the neighborhood and, and um, murders and, and uh, you know, all sorts of things that are frightening. Yeah. I've... I mean, I've I've had that happen where mm-hmm. my police, my my neighbors, mm-hmm. you know, who had a family member that lived with them that was off their psych meds and mm-hmm. had, uh, you know, some sort of uh, mental episode, and they were trying to get nine one one there to help. Um, and the cops just, yeah, just killed the neighbor, killed my neighbor. And I mean, my neighbor was, yes, a person of color, um, too, um, which I know that was an additional part of the situation. 
but they don't treat the mentally ill well in in general so and and you do even i mean you see that but well the sorry i lost my train of thought <laughs> see darren's had all the coffee you know i don't do caffeine either so i'm feeling it <laughs> oh no i cut it i just i've started cutting it off at a certain point in the day i i can't even um if i try to drink a cup of coffee my goodness i could probably run a marathon that's how sensitive my body is to uh to caffeine and and yes real life horrors are worse and but we but these these urban legends are like they're to some extent are created i mean yes to scare kids but you know you also have to hit the point where to let the child know or someone know no these are real horrors these are real concerns that you need to be you know that you need to worry about and that's why i mean like the the sorry i have completely lost i had i had a thought i, I really did have a train i really did have a point to make and no, that's fine. I'm going to just step in and mention, kind of go back to the, the, the whole thing because I, I thought they, they continue to, to kind of circle back on that uh, beautifully with various characters, right? And um, certainly William was one that stood out in my mind, but then also um, Anthony, right? I think he would be experienced by people as someone that was having some sort of a mental breakdown, a psychotic breakdown. And even just watching his his physical appearance shift mm -hmm. felt so familiar. Um, it, it reminded me of on one end, um, on a light end, it reminded me of the fly <laughs> and how that obsession, and then he just morphed into this monster. Um, but then- Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you get the bonus. It's like, oh, it was so creepy. I, yeah, I love that movie, but it, I, it's hard to watch that transformation. So it was very hard to watch his transformation too. But then outside of like just watching this film, I beyond that, I was like, oh, the, the, the transformation, the shift that occurs in people that are dealing with mental health issues and they're not being supported, um, and they're not receiving any sort of treatment that can really just completely make them unrecognizable to themselves and others. And so um, while I couldn't look at him, it was still breaking my heart at the same time. Um, yeah. Every time I've rewatched the film, that's, that's hard for me to, to see un unfold. Yeah, and 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 I, I, I and I said ding 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 about the fly because mm -hmm. Nia De Costa on like the extras to the movie specifically say she was influenced by Cronenberg's The Fly. I mean, it's it's between yeah. the body horror and this yeah, weird love story mm -hmm. obsession. Mm -hmm. um, she said that that you know, very, that played very much into it for her. But I particularly love the 
makeup work mm -hmm. that was done to create um, the transformation mm -hmm. from Anthony into Candyman. Mm -hmm. Because as the child of an entomologist, <laughs> um, I particularly loved that it looked like honeycomb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had beehives in my backyard um until I was maybe probably three, three and a half. Wow. Yeah. And we also found out I was allergic to them. But <laughs> beehives. To the bees or the hives? Or the no, hives. to the bee. To the to to be uh to bee stings. Oh, like okay. I can, I can have honey. Like I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. Or like having beeswax around. Right. Uh, but it's just, yeah. At least I'm not like, oh, I have to have an EpiPen with me at all times. But yeah. So. Oh, well, I, my sister is allergic to mosquito bites and my goodness, what happens to her poor face over the summer is just, yeah just swells up from every little bite. But back to bees and flies, yes, I, I saw that uh, some, you know, how familiar that was and I, I wondered if there was any sort of influence. So yeah, I didn't know that she had mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just, I, and, um, but I, I, you know, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely there, aside from just the body horror mm -hmm. aspect, mm -hmm. but, yeah. yeah. But um, Darren, is there anything you want to elaborate on? Yeah, you've been no. relatively uh, quiet. These are my favorite kinds of episodes where I just get to sit and listen to uh, people smarter than I talk about things uh, more eloquently than I would jabber out if I unleashed my my coffee into the microphone <laughs> <laughs> that was a you painted a, a very um clear and hilarious picture so i wish you would have unleashed our coffee into the microphone <laughs> maybe next time <laughs> don't want to um, scare you away it's your first time here one um thing i i did want to bring up is that you know when they filmed the original candy man in cabrini green um there was all the gang activity and they actually had to broker a deal with wow. some of the gangs that were uh, in the housing project and they actually hired some of them to work on the set. I, I, but I love this story. <laughs> I love this story. And I probably um, shouldn't love it as much as I do. But the idea that you're coming into people's homes, hire them. Well, if they're in a gang or not, hire them. Well, and that's just it. Yeah. So they did. So they did. Love it. They, they hired. They hired. And, and, they actually there were some of the surviving gang members still there in that area mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so they 
got they talked to them and and um worked with them somewhat for for the uh this 2021 version yeah i love that especially because how hypocritical would it be to to come into this area and and have conversations through your art around gentrification um, however satisfied or dissatisfied I am with those, personally I am with those conversations, but to, to even um, to bring that up in your art and not take some sort of action, like reach out and and um, and work with the community. So that's, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. That's pretty cool. Pretty darn cool. Yeah, I know. I, I, it's, it's like, it's one of those things like hearing that when Robin Williams worked on a, a, a film, he always made sure that a certain percentage of the uh, of homeless people be employed. Wow! For wow. the film, mm -hmm. always. So I mean, yeah, I and I, I I don't see how they could go into an area with a without it's but, the right um, thing to do and it would really fuck with the popularity of the film as soon as everybody found out well true that you know like like you said court you said you prefer courtney or court court is fine yeah uh, like like you like you said court it'd be extremely hypocritical yeah to not have done mm -hmm. but, so thanks for sharing that story because i actually had no idea so that does ease up some of my um, <laughs> some of my frustration around uh, the the missed opportunities in in, in the film. That you know, just good to hear that there was some some sort of outreach and and um, partnership with the community. Yeah, I, I I mean I yes, there's certainly not enough right of course <laughs> yeah discussion but yeah. um right um but you know and on a totally separate topic i want to mention the music i so i've always loved the the original philip glass score mm -hmm. and you know that iconic theme which is so it's just like something that it's like the setting for a fairy tale or something that you would hear on a music box mm -hmm. and it's always made me think of this kind of it, it, it's kind of like cues like this sense of we're retelling a tale that's been told before mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like passing down like just the general sense of oral tradition amongst the community. Right. Um, and which that's also general folklore, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, gives you how the Candyman legend evolves within the community over time. Uh, and for this new version, I like that. I mean, they did pull elements from the original, but then they brought in this completely 
different. I mean, another avant-garde composer, but this was a black one from Chicago. Mm -hmm. Or I don't think originally from Chicago, but he's lived in Chicago a long time. So I'm like, you know, I kind of love that, that, you know, just again, keeping it more just Chicago centric mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with your, with your crew as you know, and your, your, just your production time kinds of elements uh, as well as uh, just, Oh, the film setting or the story setting rather. But have, Either of you ever said Candyman five times in a mirror? I know I sure as hell haven't. Hell no. Hell no. <laughs> not Candyman, not Bloody Mary. We don't play like that around these parts. Mm -mm. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. I'm not that stupid white person. Because <laughs> <laughs> every because it's true. Every time you watch this, you're just like oh. Stupid white people doing stupid white people shit. <laughs> I, I just don't even find that kind of thing. Um, no. It's not fun. I'm not. No, no, thank you. I'm good. I don't play with it. Yep. Not at all. Not at all. Wasn't there. So there was a moment um, between. Uh, what's the boyfriend's name again? I'm sorry. I keep forgetting his name. The brother's boyfriend? Yeah, the brother's boyfriend. Grady? Grady. He was he was trying to, to you know, say uh, Candyman. And Troy was like, no, nope, uh-uh, stop playing, stop playing around. Nope, nope, nope. He was not having it. That's me. Like, mm -mm. you want to play those games? Yeah. I'm, I'm exiting the room, perhaps the building, the home, wherever we are. I'm not, I'm not messing with, I'm not messing with that. Mm -mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know. Maybe nothing, but I'm not risking it. Nope. I've, um, yeah, no. I'm, I'm not a scary person, but I have had some strange encounters in my life. And yeah. As have I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to summon any more strange encounters. That's for sure. Um, I, I do just want to, you know, say, and this is probably the last thing that I have to share. I really did appreciate the way that they attempted to wrap everything up, right? What, with taking these, this idea of people who are um, perceived as a monster or a villain um, or violent and, and kind of flipping that inside out and making them into saviors for the community or heroes to the community or protectors of the community. Um, I appreciated the effort to, you know, really convey that at the end as a way to wrap things up um, because it, it just feels so realistic, right? Um, you know, thinking about, I'm going to use, um, the example of the Black Panthers who were demonized and made into villains when, when truly, in reality, they were doing so much to actually help the community. And, and so I liked, I just liked 
that nice neat tie up at the the end. I still wanted more of the the puppet work, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get over it, obviously. It was it was haunting and chill. Like I I literally got chills, and I was like, I could watch this for an hour. I could watch it for two hours. Just I, tell me a whole story in this in this format, and I would just I would be hooked. Yeah. I think we oh. naturally came to a conclusion of the episode. Oh, that's that's rare. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I know we usually have a problem like <laughs> we were just babbling, babbling, and then we're like, um, like wait, we stopped talking about what we were talking about twenty minutes ago. <laughs> so the last thing, would you recommend the movie? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, easily. Easily. Yep. Yeah. I would recommend people watch it more than once, even. Yeah, I think it I think it benefits from more than one mm -hmm. watch. Yeah. Because you do have a lot going on and, and just a little you know, some little things here and there. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I almost missed the critic being lifted into midair and and smeared across her windows I, I mean i i blinked and almost missed that so i think there are a lot of moments that you can miss um on your first watch so yep i would recommend at least twice maybe even three times i've watched it four times yeah i think i've seen it four times now well, i guess i have to watch it one more time yep come on get get that next watch in mm -hmm. all right i know what i'm doing tonight <laughs> Yeah, and you know, they, on IMDb, which I don't go by their ratings at all, but out of 10 stars, what do you think they rated it? I think I saw like five and a half. I saw a really, maybe that was, maybe that was. Um, 5.9. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, this is harsh. And I'm like, obviously, people who missed some things or wanted something totally different. Well, and it's IMDb. There's probably right. A That's whole exactly bunch what I mean. They're like, I can't believe they went and put race into Candyman. Right. And it always kind uh, of was. <laughs> it already was there, you know. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. So you know. One yeah, star. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but, but this one, like the first one, I shared this this idea of someone who gets obsessed with this Candyman mm -hmm. story, and are they, you know, are are they losing their mind, or? Are they being haunted or becoming right. a Candyman? You know, it. You said this idea that you know someone gets obsessed with Candyman. Every time I've watched either version, I always thought it was this idea of someone getting possessed by Candyman. Well, yeah. and it, but it is, but it is that mm -hmm. too. I, I think mm -hmm. that there is a point where it takes it moves to possession, right? Yeah, it moves from obsession to possession. 
and and it's you have lines like through all these movies that are that are things like be my victim or be my witness or tell everyone i mean things like that where it's just like it's whoever candy man is speaking to the new one in the line basically um or the the or the protagonist who was there at the end you know it's basically continuing the story right and you know what anthony and daniel robitaille was was an artist in the original one right yes story and brianna who's a curator of art Mm -hmm. and and all and in Candyman too which is not actually a terrible sequel it's supposed to be a long descendant of daniel robotized who is teaching art and art's and all about telling self. a bigger story right yeah and it's giving so background on daniel robotized yeah anyway go ahead so. yeah no yeah so uh, that's just another thing i appreciate it and they purposefully made the main character and artist mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. for those tie-ins and for the you know the conduit for bigger ideas right and, and things like that of course tony todd uh i wish he did audiobooks or more audiobooks <laughs> he probably does audiobooks somewhere but i know just anytime i see him in a movie and then i've met him a couple times at different horror conventions and just always wonderful to uh, hear his voice the de-aging wasn't too bad i think it was uh even with with the extra bees which i'm sure were <laughs> digital this time ah uh, oh yeah darn. that they had to use <laughs> darn real bees the original oh. hey i i'm tony todd i just love that he was so smart that he got it in his contract that he got a special bonus for every time he got stung by a bee mm. and they had a special breed of bee for just for the like that they they kind of work with to develop for the movie or well for several movies yeah sag card carrying bees <laughs> bag card carrying bees but we don't handle their pension and health <laughs> and their wage payments <laughs> sorry that's a reference to my job <laughs> anyway okay well this has okay. been fun this has been a lot of fun it's been a lot of fun so much for in- inviting me and uh kind of bearing with me through my New Jersey uh, traffic noises. Um, Vanessa, I didn't hear any Brooklyn noises on your side, so. It, it was quiet here tonight, I guess. Um, maybe because I didn't have my usual mic working. So it, what, it you didn't hear that quite as well. And you didn't he- quite hear the uh, racket in my hallway. 
or the summertime episodes. <laughs> they sit there in the winter as well. Well, there's a lot more outside noise in the summertime. I think it it's perfect for the ambiance because you where you're from helps, you know, inform where you're from. It's true. True. They must have changed the traffic patterns for the helicopters. I live between uh, two or three hospitals in a couple miles. So there used to always be a helicopter flying over. That's fun. Yes. Or, you know, the occasional police helicopter. But anyway, like like you saw before we turned off the cameras, I am in a soundproofish room. Yeah, you got a great setup going on there. Thank you. But uh, uh, yeah, it was wonderful talking with you and uh, meeting with you and hearing your take on the movie. Hearing this is I you're the first two people I've talked with about the movie. Oh wow! uh, I hadn't seen it until we planned this. Don't forget to second watching. Yeah, so I watched watched it three times in the last few weeks. Hmm. Got those special features. <laughs> uh, you could probably easily find the uh, alternate ending. Yeah. Well, I've rented, I've rented on Amazon and I feel like I should have gotten the alternate ending. Um, Amazon is cheap. Obviously that's not cool. I'm disappointed. Bezos ripped you off, so they know. sure did. I mean, yeah, I'm gonna blame him for everything. They they might have um been available through Voodoo because I mean I, I have a I mean I own it on Blu-ray, but I also had the digital mm-hmm. version the version of it through Voodoo. And I went ahead and just put it on that way. And I pulled up the special features through that. That sucks. Because I could have. I could still access it through Voodoo. So I'm like, I wonder if I just rented it, I could have access to it. I thought I had that thought. Mm. If I did that for another movie that I don't know. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Somebody tell us. <laughs> I don't know. I got all those special features when I bought it on iTunes. Well, now I know better. Now I know better. Lesson learned. Well, well, thank you again, Courtney, for, thank you for coming. Thank you. Wonderful always to uh, to talk to you. But yeah, I know I, I uh, the only people I had that I had talked about this with were people that are horror fans, but that really just didn't want to delve into the meat of what was being discussed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what potential was being discussed. Yeah. So, and I I was kind of like, oh, they're just, I think there are things that, yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Um, this is a good conversation. And like I said, I've, I've, I've had a couple of rants with people, but it's nice to have um, an exchange, an actual exchange. So thank, thank you both.
Well, and Court, I think I also mentioned to you that I also have not seen many, uh, you know, black voices, like mm-hmm. other than like black podcasters mm-hmm. really talking about this outside of just, oh, the horror kind of aspect. And then, and, and including someone who was a person of color in the conversation, mm. you know, I, I just, I mean, Darren, do you, I mean, do you feel that you've heard well, any, been on any of, podcasts? I've been avoiding listening to people talk about it okay. because I wanted to go in uh, untouched by, I didn't, I knew I wanted to watch it. So I didn't even watch any of the trailers, which <laughs> You know, I'm not a big anti-trailer person, as some people tend to be in the fandom of movies, but I knew I was going to watch it. So I was just like, I don't want to hear anybody else talk about it until I've seen it. Yeah, smart but move. I will look for that. There have been some uh, shows that I purposefully skipped over because that was the conversation. But I can, without even looking, I can guarantee you there are a lot of people that are outside of either the economic class or other things talking with false authority on the things in this movie. Mm-hmm. So it's, oh it's, oh it's, that it's a very oh my lopsided goodness. world of criticism. Oh my goodness speaking of speaking of that I did read one review of this that would kind of trashed it and it was obviously written from a wealthy white person's mm-hmm. point of view mm-hmm. who was more involved in the art world and oh my goodness they were so tone deaf it was disgusting it was, it, it, I was just like, oh my goodness, no. I wanted that's to start. An yeah, that's an article I will not ask you to send my way. No, I did not share <laughs> that oh, yes. with anybody. I just like, I, I was like, if I had this in print right here, you know, in like a newspaper or in a magazine, I'd throw it across the room. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not surprising to hear, but, um, there was no constructive criticism to it whatsoever yeah not I, interested <laughs> the movie obviously wasn't for them and well and that's fine playing but... 5.9 rating on um i i think there was there was a a, a low five point something rating on rotten tomatoes too yeah um, i think it's it's scored were rated pretty low across the board yeah, and I, I I understand not every movie is for every person. That's fine, but if you're if your job is to be a critic, there should be a certain point where you can offer some objective criticism. Oh, okay. I thought they were in the art world and just uh, critiquing the the film as someone in that industry i, I might have well, well no they're they're a critic but they they mostly 
work like writing for like in the art industry uh okay okay but they also do some but they also do film got it yeah not interested <laughs> yeah i was just like oh, okay yeah not even worth yeah honestly for for me personally um i'm i'm not interested in in wasting my time or energy on articles mm -hmm. like that or perspectives that are just so closed-minded and blind. Yeah, mm -mm. I'm good. Hey, and I, the only reason I even read it is because like, I just, the headline was deceiving. <laughs> mm, well, yeah. Yeah. Hold you on in. Anyway. Yeah, well, that's why I, I, tr I mean, honestly, I, I, I know I don't read, I don't, I try to avoid a lot of trailers ahead of time and I don't want to be spoiled with most things ahead of time. At least I should say certain things I know I'm definitely going to see. You know, so. I'm, I'm similar. Okay. Well, Courtney, I will let you go and then Darren and I will wrap up the show okay all right thank you both again uh great meeting you darren vanessa as always great having these conversations with you and um y'all have a good night you too thanks for your time it was nice to meet you too thanks thanks take care bye, bye. okay darren all right we're almost finished but i figured i'd let court go <laughs> not bother her with our house cleaning oh yeah you never have your guests help with the cleaning after the party they get to go home no but i'm the guest who always ends up like i offer to help just because <laughs> well right i mean there's there's always the offer and you just have yeah. to be ready to be taken up on that offer so next month it's that time of year folks it is march madness again that's right and what are we let me let me find what we are reading oh i've got it right here if you don't have it okay you want to pull that out before because i don't have it handy Okay, yes. The book is Chaos, Charles Manson, the CIA, and the Secret History of the 60s by Dan Pipenbring and Tom O'Neill. Yes. From uh, published 2019. So that was the book you picked and it is paired with the movie the movie um quentin tarantino movie once upon a time in hollywood so About the same year as the book was published ah yeah so yeah we're uh we're kind of going uh little manson this 
time around into the family. Um, you know, and, it, and it's interesting because Charles Manson and the Manson clan, not my, not my, my favorite cult I'll tell you about. And I will, I'll, I'll go more into that one, uh, next month, but, um, these two selections are a little different discussions than, uh, yeah, than you're used to having about Charles Manson and the family. Yeah. Uh, creative nonfiction or fictionalized reality. A little bit of both. Or hidden reality. You yes. decide. So. Tune yes. in next month. For another episode of March Madness. I don't know how basketball people talk. I Ohio State and Indiana University had a game here yesterday or the day before. Um, but uh, anyway, that is basketball references. So, well, you watch basketball, but yes, I know. I, I save all mine for the March Madness episode. That's about. That's almost all I know about this year's basketball. So the game happened here a couple days ago, and. So, yeah, we will probably have a special guest, as we usually do. Yes. Uh, you know. So there will be that. And Vanessa, you were just on an episode of Scream Queens, I believe. I, I was, where we discussed the moose head over the mantle. Um, yeah. We discussed that for Women in Horror Month. Um, that was fun. Um, yeah. And actually, I'm going to be on a March Madness episode for a different show, but it's not our kind of March Madness. So it will be related to exploitation. So I will tell you more on that later. All right. As usual, uh, hit us up at VD Clinic Pod in most of the places that you would look for us on the internet. Oh, which, by the way, still still had the book giveaway. <laughs> Somebody mentioned it uh, in somewhere. Somebody but... mentioned it, but nobody sent in an email. Ah, uh, no email. Still a little bit of time. Well, I was going to say, I, I'd be willing to extend it another month till the end of March. You're just missing out on free shit, people. Vanessa's yeah. good at mailing people things. Books. And so. if, I don't know, I might throw in a movie. She's sweetening the deal, everyone. Uh, the candy Vanessa. Okay. <laughs> the Vanandi woman is see now we we let her go before the gibberish started, uh, but see? yes, exactly. The the pot has been sweetened. 
Vanessa is climbing through a hole in the wall with a book and maybe even a movie at VD clinic pod at G or VD clinic pod at gmail.com at VD clinic pod and the other places. Right. This is me signing out. So Vanessa can get the last word. Okay. Bye everybody. Talk to you next month. Thank you for listening to another episode of the VD Clinic. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at Twitter at VD Clinic Pod or reach us via email at VD Clinic Pod at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook group, VD Clinic Podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback, suggestions, and more.